This is the last in a stretch of three Sundays that are kind of doctrinal sermons. We had Ascension Sunday uh, two weeks ago, Pentecost last week, and then this is Trinity Sunday. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, are you going to go to the big Macy's Trinity Sunday sale after worship today? You know, it's not that, it's not that big a deal. Um, I, one commentary I read for, for Trinity Sunday said, you know, somebody who lost their job on Saturday probably won't be coming to church on Sunday eager to hear about the Trinity. Um, Carl Rahner, the Catholic theologian, said that uh, if the Trinity were proved false, probably 90% of Christian writings would not be affected. Wow. Glad I'm preaching on it. Um, that said, the ordination service this week at Lakeside, the first question asked the ordinance, the first question was, do you believe in the triune God? Now, we've been debating schism, we've been debating ordination of gays, we've been debating gay marriage, and the first question we ask is, do you believe in the triune God? I've spent most of my career on the district and conference level interviewing candidates for ministry, and I don't recall ever asking a candidate that question. Mainly I've never asked because I wouldn't understand their answer. I wouldn't know how to answer it. Um, you know, what, what do we do with the Trinity? I think the, the first thing to say about the Trinity is that Jesus didn't present it as a doctrine. He, it isn't in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not, it's not in any of his teaching. It's not as a doctrine in any of Paul's or any of the other New Testament writers. The Trinity is an experience before it is a doctrine. You know, when you read Paul and the other writers, they'll talk about, you know, the, the Spirit of God, God of the Spirit. They'll talk about the Spirit of Christ, Christ of the Spirit. They'll talk about the Holy Spirit as comforter, as truth, as, as uh, advocate. Uh, but they never put it all together. And, but they, you know, they seem to experience it but, you know, how does the Spirit of Christ relate to the Spirit of God, relate to the Spirit of Pentecost? You know, are they different? Are they the same? Is one better than the other? If one talks about the Spirit of Christ, is, is that the same as talking about the Spirit of God? You know, and, and after, after things settle down, we start to reflect on experiences and try to make sense of them. And I think that's how we get the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's, it's important to th see it as an experience rather than a doctrine. I liken it to um, my first experience of, and basically any time I experience grief or death and dying, uh, I'll go through what I understand now as the steps of death and dying, the, the shock, the bargaining, the denial, the acceptance. But when I, when I go through it, I, I don't experience it in that orderly, tidy way. You know, I'm, I'm blown away by the shock. I'm blown away and eager to deny and, and want to bargain and so on. It wasn't until years later when I read Kubler-Ross's book on it that I understood, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense of everything that happened to me. 
but it's an experience before it's a theory or a doctrine. I mean, we live life first, and then we try to understand it. Yeah. And that's what this is. First thing I want to say about the, about the Trinity is it's humbling because it's very hard to explain, and I don't think any explanation is adequate. I think it's good that it says we don't fully understand God. I'm very apprehensive of someone that does claim to fully understand God. I think they tend to be arrogant, they tend to be bossy, they tend to be manipulative. They tend to think they're God. I think the Trinity is important to believe in to just say at better minimum, I don't fully understand God. And we don't. Another thing about the Trinity is I think of um, it used as a blessing. The blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The blessing, the love of Christ, the love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Probably none of you remember the old Red Skelton show. He signed off every show by saying, God bless, God bless. Politicians sign off that way. I, I don't think politicians know how to end their speeches except by saying, God bless you, God bless you. That's, okay, I'm done now. Okay. <clears throat> God bless is kind of vague. It's kind of general. We can put our idea of God into any prejudice we have and expect God to bless that prejudice. I'm interested when, you know, world leaders talk about wanting peace. Well, they all want peace, but what kind of peace do they want? Do they want a peace that's peace for just their country or peace for their neighbor also? It's interesting when we talk about health care. Everybody wants health care, but what kind of health care do we want? You know, it's vague, and it's vague just to say, God bless, because everybody puts their own idea into it. But Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The God who blesses is the God of grace that we experience in Christ. It's the God of love and it's the God of community. You know, the grace of giving and receiving of putting the other person first, of thinking of the other person, of thinking what's, what's, what's best for them. The love of sacrifice. The love that suffers for the other person. And the community that there's more than one in this world. There's more than just me. And when you think about grace and love and community, it's sometimes very hard to separate them. Is this grace or is this love? I don't know. 
But grace, you know, leads to love, which leads to community, which leads to grace. If people are in community, they're going to be gracious to each other, and they're going to be loving to each other. I experienced this interchange of grace, love, and community Wednesday night at the Love Will Win event that, that we hosted in Fellowship Hall where David and Roscoe spoke to us about their, their fleeing Uganda and coming to the United States and settling in Columbus and finding their church home at, at King Avenue. David and Roscoe are, are gay. I always thought they, they fled Uganda because they were gay. That's part of the story. There were death threats against David and Roscoe because they started documenting the hatred and the violence that was happening to their gay friends. They publicized what Christians were doing to gays and what government was doing to gays. They did this out of love, and it put them at risk. And they fled Uganda. At the end of their presentation, they talked about how one should treat those who persecuted them and those who wanted to kill them. And they talked about the grace of turning the other cheek and the grace of the love that doesn't keep score. And I thought their love led to grace and their grace led to love. And there were about eight to ten other Ugandan refugees in the audience that night, all of whom fled Uganda because of their orientation, all of whom have come to Columbus, all of whom have found a community of grace and love because of Roscoe and David's grace and love. And I thought, what an interplay there, where the community leads to grace, and the grace leads to love, and the love leads to community. How do you separate it? The thing about the Trinity is, it's, it is an experience before it's a doctrine, and it's a verb before it's a noun. When people try to explain the Trinity, they talk in terms of wood. You know, wood, a plant has three aspects, the root, the trunk, and the branch. So those are three aspects but one. Or they talk about water. You know, H2O has three aspects. You know, the solid ice, the liquid water, and the vapor, gas, steam. 
When I think of the Trinity, I think of a dance. A dance is more lively than an inert wood. A dance involves relationship. It involves activity. Dances tend to be life-affirming and life-giving. Dances tend to be gracious. Now, when I think of dance, I'm a terrible dancer. I'm not talking about the virtuosity of a solo ballet dancer. And I'm not thinking of the pair in ballroom dancing. I'm thinking of a square dance. I can almost see when Jesus talks about the Father is in me and I am in the Father and the Spirit is between us and the Spirit leads us and the Father leads me and all when you see me, you see. I'm almost seeing a dosy do of the Spirit and Jesus and God, that they're just moving in and out of each other's lives. And they are kind of hooking elbows and spinning. And now, oh, now I'm with God. Oh, now I'm with the Spirit. It doesn't take much skill to be a square dancer, does it? You just follow the directions of the caller. And when you think about a square dance, there might be a head couple, but soon they're not the head couple. And you might be dancing with a partner, but soon you're not. You're dancing with the person next to you. You're dancing with the person across from you. And the thing about a square dance is it brings other people in, doesn't it? Uh, it brings other people into the dance and it asks other people to share in the dance. And I think that's what the Trinity does. By grace, it brings people into the dance. Love brings people into the dance. Community clearly brings people into the dance. And when we think of God as a Trinity, we think of God in relationship that is bringing people into the dance. Jesus says, when he ascends, he says to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples. That sounds so bossy. It's like Jesus says, hold a gun to their head and make them a disciple. And too often we feel that we are made disciples by rules and regulations and people bossing us and people telling us what to do. That isn't what the text says. The text actually says, disciple people. Well, how do you disciple people? Do you disciple them by bossing them around? Well, the, the clue to how we disciple people is when Jesus says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We disciple them through the grace of Jesus. We're gracious to people. We include them. We put them first. We give and receive. We disciple them by loving them as God loves, that sacrificial suffering love. We disciple them by inviting them into our community. The dance of our community isn't in pairs that excludes people. It's a square dance that includes people. When he says, 
make disciples of all nations. The word used for nations is not of our tribe. It's so easy for churches to be inward-looking and dance only with themselves. But Jesus says, as you disciple people, invite everyone into the dance. And then he says, I will be with you. Well, gosh, if we enter into the dance of the Trinity... We are with Jesus. And if we invite others into the dance, they're with the grace and love and community. So does the Trinity have any relevance to the person who lost their job? Does the Trinity have any relevance to the person who's grieving? I think it has total relevance because aren't we all looking for grace? Aren't we all looking for love? Aren't we all looking for fellowship? Aren't we all looking to be included in the dance? And what the Trinity says is, join in. Join in the life. Join in the affirmation. Join in the inclusion. It doesn't matter whether you know how to do it or not. We'll teach you. Come in, regardless of your station in life. I think we can all think of people that we can invite to the dance through our grace, through our love, and through our community. May it be so. Amen.